0: You have your copy of scripture, we are in the book of Hebrews, book of Hebrews chapter 13 this morning. I would invite you to turn there, book of Hebrews chapter 13. This morning we're going to look at a Few different passages of scripture as we talk about leadership responsibilities. We look at verses 7, verses 17 through 19, and verses 22 through 25. <clears throat> Starting with verse 7 Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Verses 17 through 19. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act Honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Verses 22 through 25. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Will you pray with me, Father? I pray that you would take your word this morning. That it would penetrate our hearts and our lives. Lord, we would hear it. It would speak to us. We would obey it. Lord, there will be hard things said this morning concerning leadership, concerning us as a church, Pray that we would hear it, that we'd have a desire that you'd be glorified in our hearts and in our lives, that Jesus be exalted in this church which was bought with his blood. Pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So here we are continuing on in our study in the book of Hebrews. I have not decided yet whether I will do one more or not. I'm still mulling that over in my mind. So, so you have to wait. have to come back next week and find out, I guess. But um, one doesn't have to look far uh, at the churches in America to see that we are faced with a crisis of leadership. There are books written about it. There are blog posts, if you do that sort of thing. There's podcasts, if you if you know what that is. Whatever it may be, many know there is a problem, but it seems many can't agree on any type of solution to the problem. So what often happens is that they import business principles into the local church to try to fix the problem. And while this may fix the problem of numbers... It may give the church what they want. It also sacrifices what is biblical because it is often disregarding what the Bible says about the requirements and the responsibilities of church leadership. And so we import these worldly ideas and worldly constructs into the church and we use that as a guide for a good leader while disregarding what the Bible says is the true guide for good leadership. And so what happens is a pastor's responsibility of preaching the word of God, which by the way is the primary responsibility, gets minimized and put on the back burner and out of focus because the pastor is looked at in the church as the CEO of the church. So now their role gets transferred and they have to be an entrepreneur that comes up with some sort of strategies and growth plans and the church now becomes a product that we market to a consumer instead of the church and so what happens well we give the customers what they're looking for you know like we need a disco ball or we need Black lights, or we need a fog machine or whatever it might be. And so then pastor, CEO becomes successful. He builds an impressive church with maybe multiple campuses that cater to thousands of customers every single re- week. They write books on their proven principles and other pastors gobble them up and they use them to build their church. Here's the problem with that mentality. We hold to sola scriptura. Scripture alone. It's our guide. It's our final source of authority. This is not a Pastor Josh thing. This is a church and a denomination thing. The Baptist Faith and Message 2000 states Under the heading, the Scriptures, the Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of air for its matter. Therefore, all Scripture is entirely true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world, the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, And religious opinions should be trialed. All scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is himself the focus of divine revelation. So since this is our belief, church, and the Bible clearly talks about church leadership and what it should be and what leaders should do, then it stands to reason that we should be going to the Bible for direction and not the business world. And so a, a few weeks ago, we spent some time looking at responding right towards church leaders. And that may have upset some people, I don't know, because a lot of times we don't want to hear, we, we're supposed to be humble and submit and those sort of things. And and now we get to kind of flip the coin. What are the responsibilities of leaders in the church. This passage is not comprehensive when it comes to leadership, but it does lay out for us some very vital principles pertaining to church leaders. And perhaps we will be surprised what we learn when it comes to church leaders. I can assure you that we do not find anywhere in Scripture the CEO mentality of leaders. It's not in there. In these verses this morning, what we will see is that leaders have a responsibility to lead God's flock by having a personal walk with God, by working together to help church members to also have a personal walk with God. And so that is what I'm going to break down for us this morning. My intent is that after this message, we will know what are the responsibilities of leaders. So, first... Leaders are responsible to lead. Leaders are responsible to lead. I know you're probably thinking, well, duh. But it still has to be said. As far as access to God is concerned, the New Testament nowhere teaches that there is a distinction between uh, clergy and laity in the church when it comes to access to God. The New Testament nowhere teaches that there is this distinction. In fact, it makes it clear that all believers are priests. However, it does teach that there is a distinction between leaders and followers when it comes to the local church. Now, the New Testament uses different names when it refers to church leaders in the book of Acts. They are called elders, which is reference to a maturity of faith and not age. In 1 Timothy, they are called overseers, which is a reference to their function as leaders in the church. In Titus chapter 1 and Acts chapter 20, overseers and elders are, are uh, used to reference the same office. In Ephesians chapter 4, they are called shepherds. Some translate, translations translate that word shepherds as Pastors, Peter uses all three terms in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, when he exhorts the elders to shepherd, which is pastor, the flock of God, and then he tells them to exercise oversight. He continues in verse 4 to refer to Christ as his chief shepherd or chief pastor. There's another word for church leaders found in 1 Thessalonians 5:12. In the Greek, it is the word prohestemi. It means to be in charge of, and it refers to the function of elders who rule well, as First Timothy five seventeen states. Let leaders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. It also refers to man's ability to manage his house in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, and verse 5 and verse 12. Now the word that's given in our text this morning. In verses 7, 17, and 24 is not the same word. In fact, it is where we get this English word hegemony. That's a hard word to say, which means leadership or dominance. It's simply translated leaders. The same word that is used of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 14 to distinguish Paul from Barnabas as a chief speaker. It's also used in Acts 15, when speaking of Judas Barsabbas and Silas, when it says they are leading men among the brothers. Why is all that important? Because we need to drive home the point that leaders should lead. So what is leadership? Leadership is primarily influence over someone else, and church leaders are, are to influence others by their godly example and by teaching the word of God. Look at verse 7. What did the leaders do in verse 7? They spoke the word of God. They had a way of life. Listen, a church leader's primary sphere of influence is supposed to be their teachings of the word of God. Additionally, if we look at the qualification for elders in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, we would notice that the majority of those qualifications relate to godly character in the person with one exception. They must be able to teach or give instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. In order to lead, you must know doctrine. You must have an understanding of what the local church is to be and what it should be doing and to continually communicate that to the church. It does not require you to know the latest and greatest business models for growing the church. It does not require that. It does, however, require one to be able to deal with the problems that arise in the church, especially those pertaining to doctrinal integrity. Far too often, Church leaders have led in a way that has sought to please everyone. And they've dodged difficult problems in an effort to make everyone in the church happy. And so what happens is they refuse to confront an influential church member because they're afraid. And so when that church member's in sin, they enable them instead of confront them. They enable them to keep on sinning without ever being confronted. They refuse to teach on doctrines that are not popular, regardless of whether they're biblical, because, well, they're afraid of man's opinion. They don't confront someone who's teaching error because they're afraid of conflict. They don't get involved in resolving relational conflict in the church or church families for fear of angering someone. Listen, whenever leaders dodge these issues, then they fail to lead the church. Leaders must be... Actively pursuing God and pursuing the truth of God. And they must help others pursue God as well. Which means that, that there's going to be hard times. And there's guess what? There's going to be conflict. Leaders will make people mad. It's just going to happen. But that's not an excuse to not lead. So leaders must lead. They must lead. Secondly, leaders must have a personal walk with God. They have to. I can't tell you how many times when talking to other pastors that they're lacking in a personal walk with God. They they don't have a personal time with God. They say, well, I prepare my sermons and that's my time with God. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. He also told the elders at the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. In these verses that we've read this morning, we have this great emphasis on the personal walk of church leaders and I find it interesting what it says and what it does not say concerning the personal walk with God of leaders so first let's see this that church leaders must have a clear conscience they must have a clear conscience in verse 18 the author says that they have a clear conscience in Acts 24 Paul told Felix that he took great pains to have a clear conscience before both God and men let me just say that everyone uh, has a conscience Everybody. The word conscience is con uh, in science. It's with knowledge. Romans 2.15 makes it clear that everyone has it. That God has placed the conscience within every human heart. It's that inner sense of right and wrong. Now with that said, our conscience is not infallible. It must be informed by the word of God. In fact, Scripture tells us that we can sear or harden our conscience, For Timothy 4.2 and Ephesians 4.18 and 19. So if you have a hardened your conscience, it means that your sense of right and wrong gets all messed up. Also, the scripture says, uh, makes it clear that uh, it is a sin to violate your conscience. Romans chapter 14, verse 14 and verse 23 in James 4, 17. This is exactly why Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now, the best way for a leader to have a clear conscience is by walking in obedience to God's Word. But that's also true of anyone. Furthermore, if you sin and you know it, then you confess your sin immediately. That has, gives you a clear conscience. And so you confess that to God, and you seek His forgiveness, and you seek the forgiveness of the one that you've sinned against. Leaders must be obedient to God if they want to lead others to obedience, they have to have a clear conscience. Secondly, church leaders must understand that they will give an account to God. Verse 17 makes that clear. Right? It says they're going to give an account to God. They have to understand they'll answer to God for how they've led. Leaders don't just give an account to God for their own life but they give an account to God for the church that they are over which God has placed them in as an overseer now to be sure no man or group of men has a final authority over church however they are under shepherds who are accountable to Jesus Christ who is the chief shepherd and this church is his church First Baptist Church isn't my church. It's not your church. It's God's church. The leaders are stewards. They're managers of the church for Christ who bought it with His blood. Keeping this in mind that as a leader, I will give an account to God prevents abuse of authority and prevents uh, taking advantage of people for personal gain. Church leaders would do well to read Ezekiel chapter 34 and read it often. In that chapter, God confronts the shepherds who have failed to care for the flock, but have instead used the flock for their own personal and selfish gains. And it's very serious to understand that as a leader, one day I will stand before God and I will give an account for how I lived. And that should be what drives every decision a pastor makes. It should be what drives the why behind what they do. Because they understand that they will one day stand before God and not men. They must understand that they will not ultimately answer to the people of the church, but to the Lord. And this at times can be incredibly, incredibly difficult for a pastor. Especially when they have to make difficult decisions that they know people will not like, but they know is pleasing to God. All pastors, all leaders will stand before God for how they've led. Thirdly, church leaders must be men of faith and prayer encouraging others to pray. In verse 7, the author of Hebrews tells them to remember and imitate the faith of the leaders who have gone on before them. Then in verse 18, he asks them to pray for him. And in verse 20 and 21, he models what he had just asked them to do by praying for them. Additionally, Hebrews 11 is is a whole chapter on faith. Leaders must be men of faith. They must be men of prayer. They must encourage others to pray. This is where any kind of American business principles fail. When they try to apply them to the local church. Church is not to be run as some sort of business. So in business, you make plans, right? That's what you do in business. You make some plans. You then implement those plans based upon human wisdom. But the church is to move forward, not based upon human wisdom, but based upon prayer and faith. By doing so, the church stresses their dependence on God. And they prove that through faith, prayer they have this dependence on God my aim is not to lead this church by wisdom because guess what I have very little wisdom but I try to seek the mind of the Lord for his church and I wait on him by prayer and faith and I can only speak for myself and over five years ago when I became the pastor I tried to make it clear that I am in way over my head I wish I had the answers to lead this church, but guess what? I don't. I don't have the answers. I don't have the wisdom to guide people through deep personal devastation. I don't have the wisdom to help people with all of their personal problems. Listen, church, when it comes to wisdom, there's a shortage of it in me. Trust me. I am utterly and totally dependent on God. And prayer is not just a formality. It's not just something that I ought. It's time to pray again today. When I run in the morning, I'm often praying. Praying for deacons. Praying for their families. Praying for the people in my church that are struggling. Praying for situations I'm struggling with in my office throughout the day. Sometimes I will get stumped and I will get a call or I'll get a text message and I don't have the answers and I have to pray. There are times I get angry. I get angry at someone in my family. I get angry even at someone in my church. And guess what? I have to pray. We pray on Sunday mornings in church. We pray before we start meetings. Why? Because you and I do Do not have the wisdom to solve the problems of this world. But God does. He's a living God that has all the answers. And so as a church, we should be praying to God. It's what we have to do. Church leaders have to be a people of prayer. Not only that, but church leaders must be willing to suffer for Christ verse 23 Paul makes mention of Timothy. Timothy had just been released from prison. Paul had encouraged Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 8. When he said this, "Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God." It would appear that Timothy followed what Paul said. We don't often face persecution for our faith here in America. But there certainly may be a time when it is more prevalent and leaders are always the main targets of the enemy. Even if we don't face persecution, leaders must be ready for criticism, for personal attacks. And often, they will come from those within the church. In Charles Spurgeon's autobiography, there's a whole chapter on the early criticisms and slanders that were brought against him often by other pastors. Later in his life he faced many unfair attacks against him because he dared stand against the liberalism in the Baptist Union. Leaders that stand and hold firm to biblical truth will face attacks. It doesn't matter how nice you say something. You can say it as nice as you want. God's truth will always offend someone. They won't they won't attack God directly so they attack the leader that gave the message. And it's not fun, but leaders must understand that it goes with the job. Leaders must be willing to suffer for Christ, and they must know that it will sometimes come from their own church members. Listen, I've I've had things said about me that are not true, even in our own church. I know because, well, frankly, they've gotten back to me. And though I don't like it, I know it's going to happen. And I'm here for the long haul. So I don't say, oh, well, oh that person doesn't like me. I don't care if you don't like me. If you don't like me, that's okay. I I can live with that. Because I know not everybody needs to like me. It's okay. But it doesn't excuse sinful behavior. I just know it's going to happen. Spurgeon's wife, Charles Spurgeon's wife, helped him deal with it by putting Matthew chapter 5 verse 11 and 12 on a plaque which Charles Spurgeon read every single morning it says this, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you leaders are responsible to lead and the main way they do this is by having a personal walk god thirdly church leaders must church leaders must work together as i stated a few weeks ago leaders is plural the new testament clearly teaches that leadership in the local church is supposed to be plural acts 14 20 acts 20 17 titus chapter 1 verse 5 all speak of elders plural Why is leadership supposed to be plural? Well, for one reason, it creates a safeguard against abuse of authority. For another reason, the task of shepherding a local church is far too great for one person to accomplish unless that church is some sort of house church or it's extremely, extremely small. Now, as I've said before, this creates a problem in many Southern Baptist churches because they don't have a plurality of leadership. Now, some might argue, well, well, they have deacons, and I praise God for our deacons. I love each and every one of those men. I, I see things that go on in the lives of our deacons that many don't ever have the opportunity to see. and the sacrifices they make, I love each and every one of them. But there's two problems if we look at deacons as the leadership. First, deacons are to serve. In fact, that's why they were appointed. In the first place. Clear back in the book Acts. The apostles needed to be devoted. To the teaching of the word. And so deacons were appointed. To serve the people. Secondly. The qualifications for deacons and elders. Are not the same qualifications. They are clearly different. For a reason. Some people would say. Well you have a church council. And that's true. We have a church council. I'm thankful for our church council. But nowhere in Scripture do we find a church council being set up to lead the church. Nowhere. Thankfully, our church council does not necessarily lead the church. They make decisions and and we talk about things. Nor are they to function in that way. So what happens is because there's not a plurality of elders in Southern Baptist church life, it means we have to devise some way to hold the pastor accountable because he's the only elder. And this is where business practice creeps into the church. And we come up with some unbiblical standard that we use in order to hold him accountable when all along the elders should be holding one another accountable as this is what Scripture clearly teaches. Now, if we are speaking of sin, that's another story. When dealing with an accusation of sin against an elder, Scripture is clear how that is to be handled as well. And I could, I could park here for a while, but I'm not going to. I don't have the time. Let me just say this, that many of our churches are not functioning biblically with a plurality of elders who are holding one another accountable like we see clearly laid out in Scripture. This is why many Southern Baptist Church plants that are starting are planting with a plurality of elders. This is for the safety of the church as well as the pastor. Let's look deeper at two things here. First church leaders are called to work together, called to work together. Obviously, the author of Hebrews worked closely with Timothy, which verse 23 makes clear, right? He has also worked with leaders of the Hebrew church. He tells them to greet their leaders in verse 24. He says it is leaders, plural, that keep watch over the souls of the flock in verse 17. This could only be done by working together as a team. Now, in the New Testament... This is one example of... There's one example in, in the New Testament of a dominant leader. And it's a neg- negative example. Third John chapter... Or Third John verses 9 and 10. The Apostle John confronts Diotrephes because he loved to be first among them. He refused to acknowledge authority. He talked wicked nonsense against authority. Refused to welcome brothers. And he took it upon himself to put other people out of the church. Now some people are gifted differently or are more spiritually mature or have stronger personality and so they are first among equals like Peter was a spokesman for the 12 and James was dominant in his leadership in the early Jerusalem church according to Acts 15 and 21 and Galatians 2 Paul was a leader of the first missionary team despite the fact that barnabas was a believer way longer than paul however all of these men submitted to one another in the lord they all held one another accountable at different times and they taught that as believers we are to do the same according to ephesians 5 21 not only are leaders called to work together That they may lead with joy, not with grief, as verse 17 makes clear. But the author asks for prayer, making it clear that his intention is to conduct himself in an honorable way in everything. And he has a desire to be restored to them soon. He speaks of Timothy and traveling with Timothy. And he asks them uh, to greet the brothers and the saints on his behalf. Relationship oozes through these verses. The author had a relationship with the people, with the leaders. Stop and think about the the Bible. The whole Bible is summed up by two great commandments. Both of them are relational. Love God, love others. This means church leaders have to work hard at relating to one another in love. It means that that they have to help church members relate to one another in love. This is what Paul was concerned with when he wrote, uh, to the Philippian church that there were two women Iodia and Syntyche that needed to live in harmony in the Lord Philippians 4 2 can you imagine being either of these two ladies right and the apostle Paul called you out by name in his letter like you're reading the letter and there's your name and he's calling you out can you imagine that He was concerned for the church at Corinth because Chloe, her people, had told him of the quarrels that were taking place in the church. 1 Corinthians 1, 11 through 13. Whenever you get a group of people together, especially when the group consists of people from different backgrounds or ages or even nationalities, you have potential for conflict. Now, add to that different personalities and how people handle things and different preferences and the need to confront sin and false teaching. It's really surprising that the church has survived for all these centuries. One of the main responsibilities of, the, of church leaders is to be an example of godly relationships and to help others work through their relational problems. Church leaders must have godly relationships. And listen, I crave them. I'm, I'm highly, I'm a relational person. I like being with people. If you're open to a godly relationship, look out. Because you know what? I'll probably hound you to death. You'll probably get sick of me. If leaders do not have godly relationships, they're not going to stick around long. This is also just one more reason why there needs to be a plurality of leadership. Fourth. Church leaders help church members have a personal walk with God. Church leaders have a duty to help church members have this personal walk with God. Naturally, church leaders can't do it for you. But all leaders must be trying to find ways to help members have a personal walk with God. And this is revealed in our text. This is not comprehensive. But there are four aspects I want us to see this morning from this passage of Scripture. First, church leaders help by keeping watch over their souls. In verse 17, we're told that leaders are keeping watch over the souls of those in the congregation. As I said of this text a few weeks ago when we looked at it, in the Greek, keeping watch over actually means to be sleepless. Therefore, it's saying watch over so carefully that one loses sleep while doing so. This imagery is drawn from the shepherds who are watching over their flock. You see, the shepherd had to stay alert in order to guard the flock from the predators that would want to come in and do harm to the sheep. The shepherd had to know the sheep. They had to observe the sheep. If a sheep wandered off, they had to go after the sheep and restore the sheep. They had to lead the sheep to pasture and to water, and the task of shepherd requires discernment. The shepherd must know where the sheep are spiritually, and when they are heading towards spiritual danger, the leader must have a love for God and a love for the people to the point that they are willing to have the courage to confront those that are drifting from the flock. Leaders fully understand that you can only lead those who are willing to be led. But all leaders also understand that they must at least make some sort of effort to lead even those that are not willing to be led. And this has become increasingly more difficult in our day and age when towns have so many different churches. There's all kinds of churches in Washington, Illinois. I think that last count there was like 35. So what happens is if if people get upset at one church, guess what happens? Maybe the leaders confront them or a leader confronts them, confronts their sin and their life, and they say, well, okay, I'll just pack up and go down the road to this other church. They'll welcome me in. And guess what? They take the problem with them. Same problem they had in the previous church. Can I just be real honest with you as a pastor? Keeping watch over your souls is a daunting task. It's overwhelming. And I don't believe it's the responsibility of only church leaders. In fact, it's the responsibility of every spiritually mature believer to help restore those who are caught in any trespass And to bear one another's burdens according to Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. So that means if you're in church and you know someone that's straying from the Lord and you don't know what to do about it, then talk to me for some counsel. I do all I can to watch over the flock, but I can't do it alone. Often I'm not even aware of someone's need. I don't even know about it. And even when I am, I'm still one person trying to fulfill the biblical role of elder, which is yet another reason we need a plurality of leaders and specifically elders and why Scripture makes that clear. That can work together to spiritually care for the people. But even then, every last church member needs to be active to care for one another spiritually. Secondly, church leaders help by teaching God's word faithfully. They help you by teaching God's word faithfully. In verse 7, the author is making it clear. Church leaders have gone before, they spoke the word of God to the flock. In verse 22, he talks about his brief word of exhortation. When we look at the qualifications for elders, we notice that all of them should be able to teach or give instruction according to 1 Timothy 3 2, and Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Some, especially who work hard at preaching and teaching, should be financially supported for that task, according to 1 Timothy 5.17. In fact, this says that those who rule well and labor in preaching and teaching are worthy of double compensation. Whoa! We don't like to talk about that. Now I know what some people might say. They might say, Well, Pastor, I know what 1 Timothy 5.17 says. It says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, not double compensation. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So where does it say that they're worthy of double compensation? It says honor, not compensation. Yes, it says double honor. The word honor in the Greek is timi. And in the context of this verse, it is directly referencing pay or compensation for services rendered. If we read on into verse 18, we would know this because it says, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Now, I'm not preaching to complain about my paycheck. Because I don't want it cut. What I want us to understand. Is that scripture is saying. That the elder that labors. In the preaching of God's word. Is worthy of wages. And in fact. Double wages. What we must understand. Is a qualification. For receiving the wage. Is laboring In the preaching of God's word. That's what it's saying. The qualification for that elder to receive a wage is the proclamation, the preaching of God's word. The preaching and teaching of God's word. It is not how many times he goes to the hospital. Not how good he is at administration. Not whether he said something I like in a counseling session. Not is he involved in what we call ministerial activities. These are not qualifications for the elder to receive a paycheck. Not the qualifications even for an elder at all. The qualifications for the elder to receive a wage is the preaching and teaching of God's word. In fact, these qualifications that we sometimes throw out there don't even qualify someone to be an elder. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 make it clear. Let me assure you that faithfully teaching God's word is hard work. But let me tell you, it's also spiritually rewarding. Let me read to you what is almost Paul's final words to Timothy. In one of the strongest admonitions in all of the Bible, 2 Timothy 4. 1 through 5, please listen carefully to what Paul says to Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own. Passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into miz. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Preach the Word. Timothy is an elder of the church. The greatest thing that could ever be said about your pastor is that he preaches and teaches God's word faithfully. It's the greatest thing that could ever be said. Let's move on. Church leaders help you by teaching about joy in what is spiritually profitable. Verse 17 speaks of leaders fulfilling their duty with joy and not grief, because that would not be a profit to you. Now, this is obviously referencing to the joy of the leader. However, it extends to the members. The idea is that if the leader does not have joy, it's unprofitable to the members. The leader's love for the people is dependent on his delight in ministry. If the leader does not find joy in ministry, then why should anyone in the church have joy? If the leader does not find joy in the study of God's Word and seeing what is spiritually profitable, why should anyone in the church? The joy of leadership is not an option. It's essential for leaders. And it takes work to maintain it. Those that walk in obedience to Christ know His joy. John chapter 15. And godly leaders have joy when they see those in the flock walking in the truth. 3 John 4. Church leaders help by teaching about joy and the source of that joy and by living it out and by teaching members what is spiritually profitable so those members can also live it out. Joy. If I don't have joy, why would you want to have joy? If I walk around here, oh boom, I can't stand this place. Gotta go in the office again and I gotta prepare another sermon and Why would you want to have joy? And trust me, as I shared last night, I know it's not always easy for you to have joy in your pastor, and it's not always easy for your pastor to have joy in you. It's hard at times, right? I mean, I guarantee you that I say stuff, and you're like, I cannot believe that came out of his mouth. Because my wife usually is giving me an elbow later on or why did you say that? But we can still have joy. Lastly, church leaders help by focusing on God's grace. Look how the letter's brought to an end. Let's just say, Grace be with all of you. It's not just some simple formality. You know, grace is an emphasis throughout the entire New Testament. In the book of Hebrews, the author has talked about God's grace. He said that Jesus, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. He encourages readers to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. In, four, in chapter 4, verse 16. He issues a warning about insulting the spirit of grace in chapter 10, verse 29, and about falling short of God's grace in chapter 12, verse 15. In chapter 13, verse 9, he gives a caution against legalism and then said, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. There's this great emphasis on grace. No wonder he closes with grace. We are to be a people that focuses on grace and leaders should help Focus on grace. Well, what does that mean? Let me say for far too long, too many of our churches and homes have focused on and emphasized legalism over grace. And leaders are responsible to create an atmosphere of grace. They are responsible to focus on grace and try to get the members to focus on grace. Now what I'm not saying is that we give license to sin and we brush it off as no big deal because God's word is clear in Titus chapter 2. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Listen, when we sin, which every one of us does, God's grace forgives and restores. God's grace is, is patient with those who are weakened and encourages them to grow in the Lord. God's grace does not focus on preference and hold legalism as the chief end. God's grace doesn't say, well, here's my rules, here's my preference, this is what I want, and therefore you have to follow what I want. Here's my rules, and you've got to follow my rules. But it focuses on sin and holds forgiveness as the chief end. God's grace says, okay, I see this sin and and i got to figure out if I'm going to put that as a leader into your life, i got to figure out how to get you to realize that sin and that God forgives it. As I wrap this up this morning, you might be asking, well, How do I apply this message? Well, hopefully you've taken some application throughout the message. I trust that you have a personal walk with God, but let me say that my intent is not to scare anyone off from ever desiring the office of elder, especially if our church were to ever go that route and were to have a plurality of elders. Secondly, my intent was to reveal to us the actual biblical responsibilities of elders. D.A. Haas, a missionary leader for China Inland Mission, wrote this. What is the essential difference between spurious and true Christian leadership? When a man in virtue of an official position in the church demands obedience of another, irrespective of the latter's reason and conscience, this is a spirit of tyranny. When, on the other hand, by the exercise of tact and sympathy, by prayer, spiritual power, and sound wisdom, one Christian worker is able to influence and enlighten another so that the latter, through the medium of his own reason and conscience, is led to alter one course and adopt another, this is true spiritual leadership. The goal is not for people to run away from this message ever thinking they could hold the office of elder that's not the goal let me just say this is a difficult message and when I sit here and I think of the demands of scripture being put on an elder in the flesh I'm not capable When I read the demands of Scripture on an elder in the flesh, I want to resign. I want to just be like, here's my resignation. I cannot do this in the flesh. I know I can't do it. It's not about employing a bunch of business principles. It's about following God's written word. It's a holy standard I can't meet. And I, like Paul, cry out, who is adequate for these things? Oh God, who can accomplish this? Because I can't. God, who can lead this church because I can't? God, how can I go on because I can't? God, will tomorrow or next week or next month or years ahead of time, will it reveal what you're going to do? I can't understand it, God. I cannot lead. But I remember those words from Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, verses 5 and 6. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. God, I can't. I can't do it. I can't lead this church. I don't know what I'm doing, but God, you make me You can. The responsibility of church leadership is an impossible one. At least in our own strength, but God's strength makes it possible. Nothing is impossible as a leader through God's strength. And I would ask you, church, that you would pray for me. And I'd ask that you would pray that as a church, we would realize the need For a plurality of elders and the need that biblically, what are the responsibility of those elders? I don't know how the Lord may have spoken to you this morning. Maybe you need to pray in your pew today. Maybe you want to come forward for some prayer. Maybe this morning... Out of this message, you realize that Christ, for the first time, you realize that Christ died for you. And you want to trust him? I don't know. God takes his word and he speaks in different ways to our hearts. And I just want to challenge you, if you feel the need to respond, I'll be standing down front. If you need prayer, you want to come talk to me. Or if you just want to respond in your pew, you can do that. Or you can hang out and talk to me later, whatever it might be. But I want to give you that opportunity this morning. Let's close with prayer.